Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Awesome. Well, it is great to see you. It's going to be a great Sunday. Um, you know, really, just uh, we're, we're glad you're with us. You being here, you have impacted our service. Service is not the same without you. And so we just uh, really, we, we thank you for, for, for making church a priority this morning. We say it every, every Sunday, but those that are planted in the house of God will flourish in the courts of our God. So uh, you're in the right environment for you and your family to flourish. And we're just, we're so excited you joined us this morning. We've, we've been in a series on the book of Acts. I believe this is the seventh week now. And so we've been preaching through the book of Acts. Uh, we, we've asked you to, to be reading the book of Acts along with us. And I know one thing, at least for me, that's kind of been like a common thread through the book of Acts or a theme through the book of Acts is that there is more. There is more for us as individuals. There is more for us as a church. And I hope that as you've been reading through the book of Acts and we've been preaching through it, and you, you, mean, you just see what took place in that, that community of believers, as you see how they lived, the, the things that God was doing, I, I, I hope that it stirs an appetite in you for, I, I think there's, there's more. We haven't, we haven't reached the pinnacle of what God wants to do. There is more that God wants to show us. There's more that God wants us to experience. There's more that God wants us to do. And, and we can get lulled to sleep by just church as usual. Go to church for an hour or two, hope to get entertained. Go back out, get some food, go back to your life, work your job, take some vacations, retire, die. I mean, we just get lulled to sleep by like, the, this is just how life is. This is, what, this is what the life of a Christian is. It's not much different than anyone else other than you go to, you go to church on Sunday. But I hope that as we're, we're going through the book of Acts and as you're seeing what's taking place, it, it stirs a hunger and a thirst to see that all that God has for you. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look into the, the word here in a moment. But first, let's, let's pray. And when I say let's pray, I mean let's pray, not listen to me pray. But honestly, so let, let's pray this. This is just something that's been on my heart. That l- let's pray that, that God would just give us a holy dissatisfaction for anything less than all he has for us. Let's pray that, just like we, we've said it over the last few weeks, that we would not be too easily satisfied or too soon satisfied, that God, God wants to, to do more in us and through us. So let's join together and let, let, let's pray together. Father, we, we, that's our prayer this morning. God, that we, we would have a holy dissatisfaction with anything less than all you have for us. This morning, Lord, we ask, awaken our spirits, quicken our spirits this morning. God, we ask that you would plow the soil in our hearts, that we would receive what you have for us this morning. Father, let your word be honored as your word goes out. I thank you that it always produces what it is supposed to produce in our lives. It never returns void. Lord, we we are here for you. God, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone says, amen and amen. So this morning, we're gonna be in Acts chapter four and in chapter five. And I wanna speak about possession and the fear of God. Possession and the fear of God. So, so far in preaching through the book of Acts, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing a group of believers, a church, that's experiencing a move of God. We're seeing a group of believers that God is visiting them. 
They're having a visitation of God's glory, of God's presence. And so we are seeing some of the byproducts of that move of God, and we're seeing uh, the byproducts of that visitation. So what, what have we been reading about and preaching about for the last few weeks? We've preached about miracles and healings, right? That, that was a byproduct of this move of God. We, we're seeing that multitudes are being saved. Multitudes are being added to their church daily. We're seeing mass salvations. That's a byproduct of this move of God. Last week, Pastor Christina spoke on boldness. That, that's a byproduct in these believers' lives. There is a boldness in them to preach the gospel, to, to tell others about Jesus, to testify to the risen Jesus. There's a boldness in them. We've seen that there's a unity over and over, right? One heart, one mind. There is an uncommon unity that they're experiencing, which is also a byproduct of this, this move of God. Everyone's filled with the Holy Spirit, as we've seen in Acts chapter 2. And so we're seeing, and there's more, but we're just seeing some of the byproduct of what's happening here. And I want to point out another one to you, and it's in, it's in Acts chapter 4 in verse 32. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Acts 4, 32. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. So we see right here another byproduct of this move of God. We see that they, they are set free from a possession mentality and an obsession with, with possession and ownership. They're, they're, they're totally set free. They, and this is a common theme you see through the book of Acts over and over that they, they claimed that nothing was their own. They, they're sharing stuff, they're giving stuff away. But that, that's a radical lifestyle. But nothing, I don't know, nothing's mine. I don't claim that anything is mine. You know, in a time where everyone is fighting over ownership and possession, and there's legal battles over, this is my property line. No, this is my property line. You know, it, it was, it, it's a radical lifestyle for us to, to just live totally free from possession men, mentality, materialism. And so that, that's one of the byproducts that we see is they're totally set free from this this materialism and, and ownership. It's, it's a, I, th I think we could all agree that's something that we struggle with today, maybe more than ever, is a, a love for possessions, a love for ownership, and, and not just with material things. Although that is a large part of it, I think it goes beyond that. This possession mentality goes beyond just stuff. We love to have ownership of our businesses. My business. We love to have ownership of our, our children. Those are, my, those are my kids. Follow me here. We love to have ownership of our futures. We, lo we love to have ownership of my people. Those are my people. We love to, in the, in the church world, have possession of ministries. That, that's my ministry. Really, we, we love to just claim ownership and, and, and have possession of stuff. And just like in the book of Acts, where, man, just God set them free from all that mentality. I believe God wants to do the same in our lives as we experience God doing something special in, in our church, in our midst. And you know, Psalm 24, verse one, says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Just there's an acknowledgement that they had and we should as well Everything is God's. 
the earth and everything in it, right? The, all, the, all the people, everything belongs to God. And, and then they, they acknowledged that. And so they held everything loosely. They weren't clinging to stuff. They weren't, God had set them free from that. You know, we were just, just last week as a staff, we were talking about this and how, especially as leaders in the church, it's important to acknowledge this is not our church. This is the Lord's church. These are not our ministries. They're the Lord's ministries. And yes, he sets up people to steward those and to oversee those, but ultimately it's all God's. They're not our people. They're God's people. And it's dangerous to get in that possession ownership mentality where those are my people. That's my ministry. God wants to set us free from all that. It's all the Lord's. It's all his. Everything, all the people, it belongs to God. And so, you know, Jesus had a lot to say about possession. And I want to take a few moments and just look at that. What Jesus has to say. So let's, let's go to the book of Matthew in, in chapter 19. Matthew 19. Jesus had a lot to say about possession and ownership. Matthew 19 and verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all those commandments young man said, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. So familiar passage, passage for us. A few weeks ago, we read this, but really, so, so Jesus calls all who follow him to live a life of joyful unconcern about possessions. And when you, when you for this man, very specifically, um, his clinging to possessions, his love for possessions, literally prevented him from following Jesus. It, it's, it's not like it was a side issue. It directly caused him to not follow Jesus. And so he, he calls us to live a life we acknowledge everything is his. We hold everything loosely. And we're, we're, not, we're not obsessed with our possessions to, to live totally free from possessions. Let's, let's jump over to chapter six in Matthew. Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Don't store up treasure here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroy them. Where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your hearts will be also. So I just wanna point out real quickly that 
Jesus is not anti-money. He's not anti-you having a house or anti-you having a car or a bank account. However, Jesus is anti-possession mindset. Jesus is anti-materialism. As we see here, he's anti-hoarding. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Just saying. But really, he's do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. He's anti-hoarding. He's anti-endlessly amassing stuff all the time. It, 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 it will hinder you from following Jesus. Do not store up treasures on earth. It's a direct command from Jesus that we love to not keep. You know, we live in rural West Virginia. Probably, I think in, on the East Coast, it has like one of the lowest, you know, population per square mile. Rural West Virginia, low population. And I live about 15 minutes from the church here. And when I drive home after this, I probably can't count on one hand how many storage units I pass on the way home. It's insane. Like people love to just hoard stuff and endlessly amass things. And it's, 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 Jesus speaks directly against it. I mean, I know it's, I'm not, if you have a storage unit, I'm not trying to just like <laughs> condemn you. It's fine. But I mean, I think we need to, to, to search our hearts and see like me clinging to stuff is in opposition to following Jesus. And we think sometimes the more stuff we have, the more security we have, and the more, that's not true. If anything, as we'll see in a moment, it brings on more anxiety, more concerns, more worries. So, so Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth. Let's jump to uh, verse 24 in Matthew 6. Jesus continues by saying, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you have a New King James or a King James, what it says at the end there is you cannot serve both God and mammon. What's mammon? Well, it's an original Greek word there that basically means possession or wealth. Possession or wealth. So Jesus quite literally here says that being obsessed with possessions and wealth is in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. You, you cannot serve both. You cannot serve money and God. They're, they go against each other. And I feel like sometimes Christians try to love both a little bit. They try to, you know, I love the Lord, but I also love possessions and I love stuff. And as if they can play this game of serving both and loving both. And Jesus tells us what's gonna happen in that situation. If you try to play that game, and serve God and serve money, you're gonna end up hating one of the two. Hopefully it's not God in the end. I've seen people, you know, they try to play that game of kind of worldly and love stuff and possessions and money, but also I wanna to come to church on Sunday and love God, and it doesn't work. You'll end up hating one of the two. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's, that's a stronghold for people, and it takes people out. That, that mammon, that, that hunger for possession and wealth, when it gets, when it gets in you, I, I've seen that before, it, it can take people out of serving the Lord completely. You will love one and hate the other. Let's, let's keep reading in Matthew 6, in verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, 
Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflower that is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So in Matthew chapter six, Jesus talks about possessions a lot. Don't store up treasures on earth. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he starts talking about your food and clothing and, and then he talks about worry. And there's a reason that he goes from possession to possession and then talks, talks about worry because with ownership comes worry. And I'm sure that you've probably experienced this at some point. Maybe either you or someone you know, they get a brand new car. They used to try to find the closest spot to the front doors. Now they try to find the furthest spot from the front doors. They're like a quarter mile away in the very back of the lot. Why? Because they have this new car and now they're worried that it's gonna get hit by a door, it's gonna get hit by a shopping cart. But if it was a rental, no one cares, right? I just had a rental a few weeks ago. You know, it's like, oh, darn it. I just spilled honey mustard on the seats. Whatever. But if it's your own car, it's like, oh man, I gotta clean that out. Not that I'm advocating for vandalizing rental cars. Just saying it's a different, it's a different mentality, right? With ownership comes worry. You get a brand new boat. Now when it storms and floods really hard, you're concerned, oh man, I hope that boat doesn't get washed away in the river or something, right? With, with ownership comes worry and anxiety. See, people think the more they have, maybe, maybe this will like, Help me be more secure and less worried. And it's the exact opposite. With more stuff comes more worries, more anxieties, more concerns. Not that I'm bashing on new cars or boats, but, but it is true from scripture. With more stuff comes more, more worries in your life. With ownership comes worries. Maybe, let me make this a little more practical. Maybe the reason you're worried about your finances is because you're the owner of your finances. With ownership comes worry. Maybe the reason that you're worried about your children and your children's future is because you're the owner of your children. Maybe the reason you're, you're so worried about, about your future, and man, what's, what's my future look like? I'm so worried about it. Maybe it's because you've taken up the reins to your future and you're calling the shots and you're the owner and you're the possessor of, of your future. Anything that you do not fully entrust to the Lord will always be a source of worry in your life. Anything that you do, I'll say it again, anything you do not fully entrust to God's care 
will continually be a source of anxiety and worry in your life. So just acknowledging everything is his and I, I give it to him. So let me give you a quick test. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I wonder if I'm dealing with some of this. I, I do, I think maybe I have some of these issues. I'm, I'm owning, I'm the possessor of stuff. I'm the owner of stuff. Here's a quick test to see what you're the owner of and what you have possession of is what causes you to worry. If you can identify what it is that's causing you to worry, you've identified the thing that you're the possessor of. You've identified the thing that you're the owner of. If you're always, if you're always worried about your finances, oh man, you're up at night, you're thinking about it, I'm stressed. That's an, ident- that, that's an indicator that you're the possessor of your finances. They're not God's, they're yours. And so now you have to care for them and, and, and watch out for them and protect them. You're, you're up late, just always stressed about your, your, your children and their future. You're the possessor of your children. You know, we do child dedications at this church and it's more than just some ceremony. It actually means something that I'm dedicating my children unto the Lord. I give them to the Lord. I, I fully dedicate them unto God. And once you do that, Stop trying to claim ownership of their future. People, you know, especially parents, I think mean, they get so wrapped, concerned about the, the future of their children. It's, I mean, we love our kids, you know. But if my, here's the thing. Ultimately, if I'm the only person that's, that's caring for my child's future and protector of their future, they're in trouble. Like, I, I want God involved in my children's lives, right? I, I want him to watch over my children. I want him and his hand on their lives. Acknowledging it's all his. And once you acknowledge that everything is his, now, like I said, it's no longer up to you to care for it and protect it and watch out for it. God's way better at that than we are anyway, right? God's way better. If, I, if my finances are only up to me to protect and try to care for, I'm in trouble. I want God's blessing on that. I want God hand, God's hand on my finances and my, my family and my children. With ownership, comes worry. So this morning, if you can identify, there's some stuff in my life that, I, that are constant sources of worry. That means those are things you have to submit and, and give to the Lord and surrender those things to him. And, and until you do, it, they will constantly be sources of worry in your life. Surrender it to him. You're worried about your finances, surrender it to God. Worried about your future, surrender it to God. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So Jesus is saying, hey, instead of getting all worried and bent out of shape about all these things, which he says, that's the stuff that dominates the minds of unbelievers. That should not be the stuff that dominates the thoughts of our minds as children of God. He says, here's the answer. Here's the solution. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make the kingdom of God your number one priority, the number one focus of your your thoughts. And when you do that, he takes care of everything else. Our job is to seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And when when we do that, he adds everything else into our laps. He takes care of everything else. And we we get it backwards so often that we we seek first finances. No, we seek first a, a spouse. Nope, we seek first that job. Nope. You seek first his kingdom and he takes care of the rest. Amen, church. So 
with ownership comes worry. So handing stuff over to the Lordship of Jesus, surrendering everything to him. And maybe that's something that you need to do this morning. You, you can leave here no longer bound by anxiety and worry over those issues simply by, by surrendering it all to him and seeking first his kingdom in your life. So let's get back to the book of Acts though. So Acts chapter four, let's turn back to there. We're seeing the believers set free from a possession mentality, set free from materialism. Let's start back at uh, chapter four and verse 32. So all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So we're seeing these, these, these believers set free from a possession mentality and an obsession with possession. And we're seeing that they're, they, they're acknowledging everything belongs to God. They're holding everything loosely. They're selling stuff. They're seeking first his kingdom. They're just, they're getting rid of their endlessly amassed, you know, amassing stuff. They get rid of it. They're selling it. They're getting rid of houses. They're getting rid of land. And then we, they give us one instance of, of specifically of someone named Joseph, later named Barnabas, and how he does that. He sells a piece of land. He brings it to the church. And it's this beautiful act of giving. It's this beautiful act of just generosity. This, this spirit-filled, pure, beautiful gift that he brings to, to the church. But let's keep reading in, in chapter five and verse one. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. And we'll stop there. So let's, let's get this clear. Is when you're reading the Bible, the, the original manuscripts of the Bible did not have chapter and verse divisions like ours do. Okay, those were added later to help us have reference points to help us study the Bible better, to preach the Bible better. But originally, there were no chapter one, two, three, four, five. It's all one story. It's all one thought. So right here, yes, we've gone to a new chapter, but it's the same story in the same, the same thought process. So we go from believers are giving stuff, a guy named Barnabas gives a piece of land, and then we get introduced to a new couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, we don't know much about them, other than we know that they're apparently a part of this community of believers. And we could maybe guess that they're fairly well off if they have, they have land that they're selling and, and, and bringing to the church. So, but, but we, would, we would have to assume that they, they've seen what's going on in Ananias and Sapphira. We, we could assume they've probably seen what, what's gone on with Barnabas. You know, he gives, he sells a piece of land, he gives it to the apostles, all of a sudden, they're giving him nicknames, Barnabas. All of a sudden, they're doing testimony videos about Barnabas. Not really. Um, all, all of a sudden, he's getting honored. They're, they're speaking well of him. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they start to think, oh, we want honored like that. 
we would like the apostles to know our names. We want nicknames. We want people to think that we're as spiritual as Barnabas and we want our own testimony video about the gift that we gave and we want to be acknowledged. And so they decide, you know what? Let's do what Barnabas did. So they do. They sell a piece of land, right? Let's go back to chapter five, verse one. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. You know, it's, a dang, it's spiritually dangerous to want people to see your acts of giving and service. It's a dangerous place to be when you want, you want the pastor to see what you just did or th- how much money you just gave or how you just really sacrificed your time over something. It's a dangerous place to be. Jesus talks a lot about, don't do your good works in front of people. Don't, don't try to draw attention to yourself um, to gain favor and to manipulate. And so that's, that's what we can tell is, is happening here. So they, they sell this land, they keep part of it, and they give the rest of it. So, so kind of what's happening here is they're saying, man, we, we want the appearance that we're really sold out. We want people to think that we're, we're man, we're, we're all about the kingdom of God, but secretly we need to hold some of it back. I want people to think that we're, we're really all in and we're, we're totally in on this thing, but really I'm not willing to pay that price. I'm not really willing to give it all up. I think that's something that still happens to this day. I want people to think that I'm really all in and man, I just, but really on the inside, I'm not gonna give everything away. I still got some stuff inside me that I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna surrender that. I wanna keep that thing. I don't wanna surrender that, that issue. That, that, that's tough for me. So they wanted the appearance of being all in without really being all in. And let's keep reading in verse three. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So we see here that it wasn't like they had to sell property and give the full amount. There was no rule Hey, if you join our fellowship, everyone must sell one piece of property and give the full amount to the apostles. That wasn't, there was no rule. It was free will. Give as you want. Don't give as you want. There was no compulsion to give, just like it's still that way today. There's no compulsion to give. We'll take offering later on the service and there is zero compulsion to give. No one has to give a dime. It's all free will. And so Peter's saying, hey, you didn't have, you didn't have to bring the whole amount. And hey, even if you wanted to sell that land, you could have said, hey, we're gonna bring 50% to the church and we're gonna keep 50%. And that would have been fine, right? The sin was not that they didn't give the whole amount. They didn't have to give anything if they didn't want to. That wasn't the issue. That wasn't the sin. The issue is they've cooked up a scheme. The issue is they have committed this premeditated lie in order to gain favor, in order to manipulate leaders, in order to make people think that they're really spiritual. They've lied to the Holy Spirit. 
in, in Peter immediately recognizes this and says, Satan has filled your heart. Ouch. Be understood, this was intentional. This wasn't, oh man, we dropped a few of the bills on our, on our way in. No, they intentionally, they planned this out, premeditated. We're gonna give some and we're gonna keep some and we're gonna lie about it. And no one will ever know. The Holy Spirit knows every motive, every intention, every thought. You can fool people, you can fool pastors. That's easy, you can't fool the Holy Spirit. And we can see in this story, one of the, one of the things that jumps out in this story is God is very concerned about the purity of his church. Up to this point, it's been a very beautiful, pure church. People just are loving the Lord. People are experiencing this wonderful move of God. They're, they're giving stuff away. They're experiencing people being added to their midst. They're, they're unified. They're meeting in each other's homes, breaking bread together, praying together. It's just this probably the purest state of the church that we've ever seen. And it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden they come along and Satan has filled their heart. And we can see that God cares deeply about the purity of his church. He, needs a, he wants a pure bride. He's concerned about purity in our motives. He's concerned about purity in our intentions, purity in our giving, purity in our serving that we're not giving or we're not serving to try to, to win someone's favor or to manipulate or to, to get people to think well of them. He is concerned about the purity of giving and serving and, and motives and all of that. He's concerned about the purity of his bride. Let's keep reading in, in, in chapter five, verse five. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the doors and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. So it's a crazy story. It's maybe at first your gut reaction is, that is really harsh. Like, they died over that? Like, they dropped over dead? Like, in the middle of church, in the middle of giving an offering, a sizable offering? It wasn't small. I mean, they sold land and gave money for it. It was probably a sizable offering. They dropped dead? Like, I thought, whoa, I thought God was like a loving God. I, I thought he was this giant teddy bear in the sky. Like, how, how, could, how could this happen? And all because of lying, really lying? I mean, come on, on the sin scale, lying is like mid to lower portion of the sin scale, right? This is notoriously a tough passage to study, to preach on, to speak on, to interpret. But I feel like there's two main takeaways from this story for us. 
this morning. And the two are this. Number one, where sin is treated lightly, there is no fear of God. Where sin is treated like not, not a huge deal. See, they thought they could get away with it. They thought no one would ever figure out. They thought it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, come on, we're getting money. We're, we're giving, I mean, we're giving a large sum of money. There was no fear of God and it led them to treat sin lightly and flippantly. And, and a fear of God is, is an essential part of a believer's life. It's, it's, it's necessary. What we mean by fear of God is we're not saying some boogeyman, scary movie fear. We're talking about a profound reverence that leads us to fearing God. A profound reverence for the power of God, the profound reverence that he, he's the almighty. And it's essential for a believer and it's essential for his church to have a, a healthy fear of God because it, it helps us live holy. It helps us live pure. Fear is essential. So do you have a fear of God in your relationship with the Lord? Here's how you can identify it. I got an easy one for you. Here's how you can tell. Do you treat sin lightly? If you treat sin lightly, you do not have a fear of God in your life. If, you, if you're quick to make excuses for it, well, yeah, I know, I know, but like, you don't, you don't get it. You don't understand the circumstances. Like, you don't understand what I was facing at the time. I had to cheat on those taxes. I, 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 I know that, like, I know that you shouldn't look at that stuff, but I'm, I'm single and I'm a guy. If you treat sin lightly, there's not fear of God in your life. And, it, and, it, and it's a dangerous position to be in when there's no fear of God. And it's essential for us. It's essential for the church. It's something that's, that's not preached on a whole lot. It's not, it's not like a fun topic to preach on, but it's absolutely essential to, to, to speak about the fear of God. It's the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of God is, is the foundation for us in our walk with God, is a profound reverence for God. And it, and it would do us well in our walk with God to, to increase our, 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 our profound reverence for God when we meet together, not come flippantly in and out of his course. And I'm, I'm, I'm all for a... A church that's casual, as long as we don't treat the presence of God casually. As long as we don't treat the, the holiness of God casually and we don't treat sin casually. So, where, there's, where sin's treated lightly, there's no fear of God. So we see that in this story, right? In, in verses five and 11, it says, after this happened, the whole church was gripped with fear. They, they were gripped with fear. And and it was, it, was, it was a warning to that church that, that God is to be feared and to not treat sin lightly. But okay, so maybe you're saying, all right, John, so where sin is treated lightly, that means there's no fear of God. I understand that. But even today, John, there are people that treat sin lightly and there are people that don't fear God, but you don't see people dropping over dead. Why is that? I think, so the second, the second takeaway from this story you have to understand the environment that they were in, in this story. Like we said earlier, they're experiencing a special move of God. They're experiencing a visitation of his presence and glory. They're literally experiencing buildings shaking. They're experiencing the supernatural power of God daily and regularly. People are getting healed constantly. People are getting saved constantly. I mean, as you read the book of Acts, it, the, the, 
I don't have to tell you too much. There's supernatural occurrences taking place as the norm. And what that shows us is, like I said, God's glory and God's presence is near. He is close to these group of people in a special way. And when God's glory and God's presence is near, you have manifestations of his power. A lot of those are healings, miracles, but also sin is judged quickly when God's presence and glory is near. And you see it other places in the Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter six, there's a story of a man named Uzzah that also drops dead immediately. And what happened there is there was a group of people moving the Ark of the Covenant sinfully, incorrectly on the back of a cart of oxen. So they, they, they're, they're moving the Ark. What's the Ark of the Covenant? It's God's presence. It's God's glory. So they're, they're sinfully handling the presence of God, the glory of God. Uzzah stretches out his hand to steady the cart and he's dropped dead immediately. When God's presence and his glory is near, you see his power on display. And part of that power on display is quickly dealt with sin, quickly judged sin. The high priests would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And as they did, they would tie a rope around their ankle so that if they were to die instantly, they could pull them out of that place. What was the Holy of Holies? It was where the ark was, which is his presence and his glory. When his presence and glory are near, sin is judged quickly. Moses says, God, I want to see your face. God says, no, if you do, you'll die. Isaiah has an encounter with God's presence. And immediately after having that encounter with God's presence, Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. When God's presence and God's glory is near, sin is not a joke. Sin is dealt with quickly. So why don't we see this today as much? Well, I'd say typically today, his glory and presence is not that near. And for us, you know, we can, we can say we want him near, we can sing that we want him near, but when he comes near, his power is on display. And you get, you get the signs, you get the wonders, and you also get stories like this. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, I want God near, I want his presence, but I just want the good stuff. I, I don't want the whole like judgment of, judgment of sin. I don't know about that. So this, this, is, this story to the book of Acts, to the, the church there in Acts, it was a warning to take God seriously. It was a warning to live holy. It was a warning to, to, to not take sin lightly. Church is not a place to play games. Church is not a place to try to just build your business. Church is not a place to try to, to, to build your political platform, to get reelected. Church is not a place to, to, to try to get, you know, earn favor and, 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 you know, get on someone's good side in order to, it's not a place to play with God. He's concerned with the purity of his church. And this story is a warning to that church to live holy, to have a fear of God. And it's a warning to, to us, our church today, to walk holy, to have a fear of God. We, we want, as we said from the beginning, there is more God has for us. 
We want to see more. We want to see all that God has for us. We want to see God draw close. We want to see a visitation of his presence, but we have to be purified. We have to be a pure church, a pure bride. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to to living holy. He's calling us to increase our consecration, to not treat sin lightly, to not to make excuses for things. If we want God near, we want God's presence and glory close like that. It's important for us to walk in holiness or else it might not end well for us. I mean, really, that's what the story was all about. So taking, taking the things of God seriously, taking, taking this seriously. And hey, I'm not saying that you aren't. There's many in this room that are absolutely taking the things of God very seriously. There's some that probably kind of are, and some of you that aren't taking the things of God seriously at all. And this is a story of a warning to a church, and it applies to us as well, a call to repentance, a call to holiness. Let's, let's stand on our feet this morning. We're gonna take some time to just respond to the Lord. For each, each and every one of us in this, in this room, pray that that's our heart's desire. When, when we sense the Holy Spirit speaking to us, we sense the Holy Spirit tugging at our hearts, that we be people that instantly respond. People that are responsive to the Lord and His, His conviction and His leading. So we're gonna just take some time to respond to this word, take some time to respond to maybe like early on, we, we spoke about worry is attached to ownership. Maybe you have some things that you're clinging to that God, you need to surrender to God and you can walk out of this place free of worry and anxiety, surrendering everything to him. Or maybe, maybe you're hearing it. It's, like I said, this is a call to repentance, a call to increase our consecration and devotion to the Lord, a call to not treat sin lightly call to take the things of God seriously in our lives. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.